If you have a Bible, uh, you're going to want to turn to Ephesians chapter 6. And uh, if you do not have a pencil or a pen, something to write with, uh, you need to raise your hand. Dave and his team of expert hander-outers are going to bring... Uh, who's on your team, Dave? You don't know. We, he needs team members. So raise your hand. They're going to bring pens and papers because we're going to use that in just a minute. If you don't have something to write on, uh, they should have a bulletin or... You know, write on your hand. It doesn't matter. Um, great. They need more team members um, immediately. All right. So, we are uh, we are veering off of our study of Colossians that we've been in. And uh, I tell you, you know, I'm kind of nervous this morning because um, it's tough when you spend all week preparing a sermon and then at the last minute uh, you hear the Lord say, uh, you, you need to put your seatbelt on. And I don't know if you've ever <laughs> been riding with somebody who's leaned over and says, you're, you're going to need to put your seatbelt on because you're going to need your seatbelt. Um, that's an intimate, I don't know what's crazier, um, that I'm about to share something with you that I've really not prepared, but feel like, and I'm confident this morning, this is from the Lord. So what's crazier that I'm up here unprepared or that I'm telling you that I hear God speak to me? And in that kind of a radical concept to think that we can hear from the Lord, like specifically hear from the Lord, and that it scares the weebie-jeebies out of me that, uh, that I don't know what's about to happen in the next 30 minutes. I like control. I like having my notes prepared. And um, so here we go. Um, but the reason that you have a pencil is because I'm trusting that God is going to tell you to put your seatbelt on too. And uh, I hope he unnerves you as much as he does me so I'm not the only one in this room. And it really started because last night uh, I sat in my office and began to write the sermon that I'm going to preach this afternoon uh, at a friend of mine's funeral. And I haven't seen him in a while and I got a call this week from his girlfriend that... Uh, that life just got to be too much for him. And on Wednesday night, he took his own life. And I was just rocked by that. And preparing that sermon last night, I realized that I was sad, um, but I was also angry. I, I was angry that that happened, and I was confused about what had happened with my friend. And and I started to pray about my own life, and I started to pray about you guys. And um, that's when the Lord said, yeah, this, this is what I want you to say today. Because one of the things that, um, that I think is true about everybody in this room, and this is the premise on which everything I'm about to say is going to come from, is that we are all hurting a lot more 
than we want anybody to know we are. That we struggle more than we want anybody to know we're struggling. That we are confused more than we want anybody to know that we're confused. We don't have it as together as we'd like everybody to think that we have it together. And life is not easy. That it's hard. And there are things in our lives that make our life hard. There are things that we struggle with that makes life hard. There are people in our lives that we struggle with that make our lives hard. There's our own past that we struggle with that makes life hard. There's the uncertainty of the future and the expectations that people put on us and the expectations that we put on ourselves that makes life hard. And then there's that, that mirror of ourselves that we look at that leave us wanting or leave us proud or leave us wounded or scarred or the things that we can't get away from that makes life hard. I mean, we could go on and on and on and make list after list of what makes your life hard. And that's what I want you to do with your pencil right now. It may be that you've got addictions in your life that makes life hard. Or maybe it's other people's addictions in your life that makes your life hard. Maybe it's sin in your life or fear in your life or anxiety in your life or the pain of whatever in your life that makes your life hard. And so I want, I want to stop for a minute and I want to just ask you, what makes your life hard? You can use code on your paper if you want. I highly suggest that if you have nosy friends sitting around you. This is not, I'm about to confess my life to anybody in this room. I don't want to do that, so I'm not going to ask you to do that. So what is it? Got a piece of paper? Take a minute. I realize there are probably a handful in here that are saying, I have nothing to put on the list. <clears throat> then trust me, uh, somebody is putting you on their list. Because <laughs> it's hard to live with a perfect person. You guys all know Ben? Good game. Just arrived from Ethiopia. Yes. That can make life hard. <clears throat> okay. Okay, here's where we're going with this morning. And again, forgive me if, if none of this makes sense. I'm trusting it's from the Lord, so... Here it is, is that uh, I believe that a lot of us uh, adjust our lives to the things that we've put on that list. And we adjust our lives to make room for those things in our lives because they're too difficult for us to ever deal with or overcome or find victory in those areas of our lives. And so we easily make room for that stuff and just say, oh, well, it is what it is. Oh, well. It is what it is. 
We got possums that live in our backyard. They bring fleas into my backyard. They bring a smell into my backyard. They get into our trash can. They have rabies, you know, it's just crazy. And I, every day I say, man, I really ought to trap them, but I don't, you know? And so we just kind of live around. You don't go back behind the garage because that's where the possums live. That's their land, possum land, you know? And my son was back there digging uh, for me because I hired him to go back into possum land because I'm not going to do it. I'll say, look, I'll give you money. And he went back there and he lasted maybe 10 minutes and he came running out and he goes, possum land scary, you know, big teeth. And so we have places in our lives that are like possum land. And we've said, you know, I'm not going there. And so we learn to live with a limp. And we learn to live with the baggage that we carry. And we learn and we just put it with, oh, well, that is what it is. I mean, think about it. You know, things come into our lives and we say, you know, where's our hope? Where's our joy? You know, where's our hope to be loved and to be loved well? And we live with the disappointment. And we live with the heartache of what could have been but wasn't. Or what should have been but didn't. Or what should have never happened but did. And we live with the heartache and the pain of that. And we carry that heartache and that pain. We have our possum land for it. Oh well, it is what it is. I mean, think about it. We are those in this room that claim that our Savior has come and is present with us today. But a lot of times when we talk about that in the context of our prayer lives, we say, well, our prayer lives should be powerful, but it's not. Oh, well, it is what it is. Or we call this the word of the living God, that this right here is our guide for all of life. And yet a lot of times we talk, you know, I read it and I don't get anything out of it. It's just... I don't know. I just kind of glaze over every time I open it up. Oh, well. I mean, it is what it is. And then we struggle with sin, and sometimes we make such massive areas in our yard for possum land of our sin that we write it off by saying, well, God forgives. It is what it is. That's just the way I am. And it's easy for us to live in this blah, half-hearted place calling God our Savior, but denying any power to it. You know, you've heard this quote from C.S. Lewis before, but maybe you've not heard the two sentences that, we, that was before it. If there lurks in most modern minds the notion that it's a bad thing to desire one's good and to earnestly hope for enjoyment, if that's a bad thing, it's because it has crept in from the teachings of Kant and other ancient Stoics. Certainly, it has no part in Christian faith. Listen to the claim of this. Indeed, if we considered the unblushing promises of reward promised in the gospel, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy has been offered to us. We are far too easily pleased like an ignorant child who goes on making mud pies in the slums because he can't imagine what is meant by an offering of a holiday at the sea. That we move into this blah existence where God is something that we know about but we're not powerfully experiencing in the everyday aspects of our lives, and we write it off as, oh well, it is what it is. And I'm just not content with that for you, or for me. 
So in Ephesians chapter 5, I just feel like the Lord's saying we just need to talk about battle today. Chapter 5, verse 10. Listen to what he says. The writings of Paul. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Let me stop right there. And let me just say that you hear what the Lord is saying. He wants you to be strong. He wants you to be strong. And he also wants you to be powerful. Not just powerful, but mightily powerful. Is that a mightily, yes, powerful. In him. He wants those things for us. And that's not a wish, and that's not a dream. But Paul is saying these things as a living reality. That is, those of us that are in Christ, that we have the power, we have the capability to have mighty power and strength of the Lord living in our lives. And why does he want that to be a reality? Let's read the next verse. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, and against the power of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. It's crazy. He just said the word devil. I mean, think about that. I mean, he is saying that our battle, that you need to be strong and you need to be mighty because if you're in Christ, you have a battle going on. And your battle is not against your boss. It's not against your spouse. It's not against the guy you just broke up with or the girl that won't call you back. It's not even against yourself. Your battle is against the evil one who is coming against you. You know, it's the amazing thing about pain. Pain has an incredible ability to distract us from what really is going on. You know, because if you ever slammed your door, your finger in a door, it's hard to hold a conversation and acknowledge that there are other people around you when your finger is still in the door. It completely distracts you to the, to the immediacy of that pain. And what this is saying is, I know that it hurts, that there is pain, but don't be distracted by your pain that you forget what's going on around you. I mean, when Paul and Silas was thrown into prison, they sang. And why did they sing? Because they refused to be distracted by their own pain into seeing what was really going on. And they knew that circumstances didn't have the power to threaten the joy that was within them. See, we have this adversary, and he wants you to be joyless. He actually wants you to be afraid. He actually wants you to be half-hearted. He wants your own walk with God to be this milk toast kind of bland place that really is nowhere, that holds to a form of religion, but yet denies any power that it has in your lives today. And you know what's crazy about that is he doesn't have the power to take any of this stuff away from you. Jesus said, my joy I give you. That's the joy that he gives us. It's his joy. The Lord says, I give you life and life to the full. That he gives us his spirit. That in giving us the spirit, he gives us promises and assurances and power and strength and riches and hope. And our adversary, the devil, doesn't have the power to take any of those things away from us. He does not have the power to do that. If you're in Christ, let me just say this, you cannot be possessed by the devil. The Bible says that if you want to go in and take over a house, you have to bind the strong man that is in that house. And if you're in Christ today, the one that is in your house is greater than he that is in the world. 
And so the Bible's saying very clearly that if you're in Christ today, Satan, for him to overtake you, possess you, control you, he has to first come in and bind the strong man. And Satan doesn't have that power. But this is what he loves to do. Convince you he's got that power. And so he can't take anything away from you, but he wants to convince you that everything that is yours in Christ, you don't really have. You understand that the man that has everything but believes he has nothing is as poor as the man that has nothing. Y'all track that? If Satan can convince you by discouraging you, by beating you down, by helping you feel defeated and feel like you are powerless, then he has won his battle because even though all the riches of the kingdom of God is yours, you refuse to use them because you feel that you've been disqualified and you've lost it all. Let me give you an example. Renee and I have been married for 20 years. Yes? Okay. We'll talk later. You know, Renee and I are both very passionate people. And I think it's appropriate to say that our marriage has often lived on the ragged edge uh, of opinions and ideas. We're both very independent, and we're both very capable of living our own lives and bumping into each other on that course from time to time. And, you know, maybe you, only, maybe you have to be married for 22 years to understand this, but there are times that when we clash, and uh, it just takes all the wind out of me. Going to work when we're not connected and when I'm mad as hell. I mean, seriously. I go to work and you know what I feel like? I feel defeated. I feel powerless. I don't want to pray. I don't feel God's in any of this. Where are you, God? You gave me that woman. And here's the thing, is I feel like this is a mistake because it hurts too much to be from you. Now, take all that. That's what pain does. That's what struggle does. That's what the battle does. That's what our evil adversary wants to bring us to, that it is hopeless, that you are defeated, that God has abandoned you, that you are alone in this, and He is nowhere to be found. Good luck, buddy, because you don't have any of the tools to get through this. <clears throat> I agree. Right? Now, have any of you ever been there? Apply your own situation, alright? You don't have to apply Renee and I's situation, do you? Because this morning you may not be married. This morning you may be gay. And you may be saying, man, how do I live out my sexuality in light of the gospel? That is too painful. Yeah. Or this morning you may be struggling with addiction. Or maybe you're so torn apart because your parents have ripped you to shreds in your life that this morning you are cynical about God even being in this service today. I understand that. You're in good company. Okay, we're just trusting the Lord in this this morning, all right? So let's go to what he says. So this is Paul saying to us this morning, 
I understand the battle. Matter of fact, he probably understands it better than any of us do this morning. And he says, Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you'll be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Now, I'm not going to go through all of these. Some of you uh, could do better than me in teaching this. Some of you maybe even have a suit of armor at your house, you know. I'm in the Lord's army, you know. I don't know. But let's just talk about a few of them because I think it's significant why Paul starts with truth, the belt that holds it all together. You know, because he's saying to us, all battles want to change the truth. All battles want to change the truth. When Renee and I fight, what is it threat there? I can't do this anymore. That's a lie. It's fighting to become true. Right? I'm married to the wrong person. That's a lie. Fighting to come into the category of truth. I don't have the strength to do this anymore. That is a lie. Fighting its way to come into the truth. I don't deserve this. That's a lie. <laughs> that Renee will teach me. You know, that... You do deserve this, you know? You see what I'm saying is that in, when we're in the battle, it is challenging truth. Have you ever gotten so discouraged in your battles with the things that you put on that piece of paper that you feel like it's hopeless? That's a lie. That is a lie. That is not true. My friend reached that place last Wednesday night. He believed his battle with life was hopeless and he couldn't do it anymore. That's a lie. And it's just as much a lie for him as it is for you this morning. Because Christ is fighting for you. That is the truth. He's the one that says, I will give you everything you need for life and godliness into the battle that I've called you into. That is the truth. He has said to me and to you, I am your great reward. That is the truth. I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. And mighty is the strength of the Lord. Although a thousand may fall at your side, an arrow will not come near you. That is the truth. That's why we study Scripture. You understand that? It's such a selfish endeavor. Because we study this so that we know the truth. So that when the enemy comes and tries to pass off counterfeit truth as truth, I say no. I know the truth. That's why Christ quoted the scriptures when he was in the desert. To the evil one that, that constantly tried to tempt him to sin. You know, it's funny. I love giving my kids at Christmas, and they'll get them this year too, toys. All my kids are over the age of 10 now. And I love giving them something with remote controls or, you know, dart guns to shoot or something, you know, because I just, anyway, it's stupid. But last Christmas, I got everybody these remote control helicopters. And it was awesome. Have y'all ever seen these? They're like little miniature helicopters. And you have little remote controls. And uh, so we unpacked them and we put the batteries in and everybody just grabbed the remote control and turned it on full power. <laughs> And, you know, and they start to take off, and then they tilt 
and they spin on the ground and go underneath the couch and the dog goes freaky crazy, you know? And imagine three of these going all over the house and just bouncing off trees and Christmas trees. And We had lots of power. We had no knowledge on how to control that power to accomplish anything that didn't break ornaments. See, we think that the power... The power, that, that the power is there if I can just learn to control it. And so we go down lie, lie tracks to try to control the power. Lies like this. If I could just understand my pain, if I could just understand why I'm hurting so bad, then that knowledge is going to give me the power to stop the pain. Lie. Or if I could just figure out how I got into this mess, then I can figure out how to get out of it. Sorry. Those then thoughts are just dangerous. If I could then, if I would then, if I had then. Now, I'm not saying that we don't sit with our friends and talk about our lives and process what's happened to us in our lives and try to gain knowledge from the things that we've experienced. I'm saying that the answer isn't found necessarily in unraveling our past as much as the one that holds our past in his hands. That he is the master healer, not just more information about who you are. See, truth tells me that pain isn't an enemy. Pain is a reality. But there is one that is greater than my pain. And there's one that gives me joy in my pain. The truth speaks. Look at the next thing it says. Not just with the buckle of truth around your waist, but with the breastplate of righteousness in place. Why does he want us to have a breastplate of righteousness? I'm just going to tell you what I think I have for you this morning, and that is I think that there is much, nothing more damaging than when, when lie mingles with pain and becomes shame. That when I hurt, when I struggle, when I write those things on that list, the idea in my mind that if my list was shorter than everybody else's around me, then I wouldn't hurt. Guys, we, we are passing through, man. This is hard stuff. Loving is hard. Christ went to the cross because He loved us. He endured pain and suffering for us. And we are going to share in his suffering. Pain's there. But when pain gets mingled with a lie that you should not be in pain, it can easily become shame. In other words, there is something wrong with me because I am hurting. Listen to what Christ says to us because this is not our armor that we're putting on. This is the armor of God that we're putting on. This is what he has given us from his storehouse. But now righteousness from God, apart from the law, has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness of, from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no different for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. He's saying that there is not a righteousness that you could gain by any life of painlessness. 
No matter how good you get, no matter how much you understand, no matter how much you get it right, you can't become righteous on your own. So an, another righteousness had to come. And it was the righteousness of Christ. He lived the perfect life. He was sinless. But he wasn't painless. You see that? And in his pain, and in his love for us, he gave us his righteousness. We are now covered with the righteousness of Christ. So what does that mean? That my righteousness has nothing to do with what I got right or what I got wrong up to this very moment in your life. Now that may not seem significant. It will in just a minute when we come to the table. But here's what I want you to hear, okay? Your pain or what you're struggling with or what's on your list, God is for you. God loves you. The arrow of shame cannot get through the breastplate of the righteousness that Christ has given us. See, sin equals guilt. When I sin, I should feel guilty. But that guilt drives me to the throne of God to mend our relationship, to come to Him and receive afresh His love for me. But when sin becomes shame, that guilt now has been taken to a deeper place, and it's not that I've done something wrong, I'm saying now I am something wrong. And Christ is saying, that's a lie. Because when he robed us in his righteousness, he says, you are now sons and daughters of the king. He is for us. If we had time, we could talk about how pain loves to make us feel like we're isolated. How nobody cares, nobody's involved, nobody wants to be around us. We're in this all alone. And then that bitterness really turns into resentment. And then we begin to isolate ourselves adding to the isolation that we think other people are given to us. And yet, in the middle of that, Christ's truth is, my righteousness declares that you are not alone. And that the God of heaven, no matter what you've done up to this moment in your life, no matter what you did last night, no matter what you did this morning, we hear these words from Zephaniah. Our God rejoices over us with singing. We are his beloved. It goes on to say, and your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Now I'm about to finish because we, we're about to come to this table. I love the shield of faith the strength to believe and to receive, extinguish the lies that we can't. I love the helmet of salvation that we are secure. You know what that means? We're undefeatable. We are undefeatable. I love the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and I love this whole notion of prayer as a weapon of the Lord, a part of our armor. In Romans 8, it says, What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give you everything in that list? In view of the list that you put on your lap, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through 
him who loves us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, neither angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither heights, or depths, or anything else in all of creation will be able to separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So how do we do this? It's appropriate that we come to the table today. Because this table is about three things. It's about remembering, proclaiming, and uh, examining. The first thing that Scripture tells us, and we'll read it in just a minute, is that we should remember when we come to this table. If you've ever taken out the family photo, you know, or when you go home for Christmas to your parents' house and you open the chest with all the pictures from three generations and you're looking at that and, you know, it brings back warm memories, you remember. And this table should cause us to remember that what Christ did for us is a historical event. He was a real person who lived a real life, who went to a real cross and died. And yet he rose again so that we can rise to newness of life. You know, it's amazing in Exodus chapter 15, if you ever have a chance to go there, Abram, Abraham meets a high priest called Melchizedek. And you can go study this. He was a pre-Christ figure, believing that he was the Messiah. They sat and they ate bread and wine. And these are the words that God gave Abram after that experience. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. I am your very great reward. So when we come to this table, we remember that all the promises of God are yes in Jesus Christ. We come and taste. We come and smell. We come and see. We come and chew the reality that God has said all his promises are yes to you through this table in Jesus Christ. It also says that we are to proclaim. We are to proclaim that we are participants with the benefits of this altar. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, it talks about that we should not partake of the altar of demons. Because when we partake of the altar of that demons, we partake of those demons. In the same way, we are now to be partakers of the altar of God. When we come to this table, that we are participants because we are forgiven and we proclaim it. We are accepted, we proclaim it. We are loved, we proclaim it. We are known, we proclaim it. We are not forgotten, we proclaim it. We are sons and daughters, we proclaim it. And by faith, we feast on our Christ. This is a song that we sing here often, in Christ alone. Listen to the benefits that we proclaim when we come to this table. No guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand. Till he returns or calls me home, here in the power of Christ I stand. That's what we feast on. You know, it's another interesting thing about pro proclamation is that how we come to this table, we proclaim something. You know, Christ instituted this table at the Passover celebration. And at the Passover celebration, it was celebrating when God came into Egypt and rescued his people from slavery and called them into freedom. 
And he told them, you remember, maybe you've seen the movie, uh, you know, or read the book um, about Moses and the plagues that he brought to Egypt. The last plague that he brought was the plague of death. And he told his people, take a lamb and slaughter that lamb and take the blood from that lamb and put it on the top and the two sides of the doorpost of your house. And inside your house, prepare the lamb and then feast upon the lamb and eat all of the lamb. It was a shadow of the reality that was coming in Christ. It's a beautiful picture. And the shadow is a little bit more full when we understand that he said to his people, and when you eat the lamb, this is great. This is so good. Remember, when they're feasting on the lamb, they're slaves. But when you feast on the lamb, be fully dressed. Have your robe tucked into your belt. Have your sandals on your feet. Put your hat on, grab the backpack, and hold your cane. Stand and eat. Why did God have them do that? Because as they feasted, they were celebrating the freedom that was already theirs, yet they hadn't experienced it. They hadn't taken one step on the path of freedom, and yet they were standing there eating that lamb, claiming we are free people. Whatever comes our way, we will live our lives now as free people. Give me some more of that lamb. And they feasted. That's what we do here today. That's why you're to examine yourself. That thing on your list, those things on your list, will you come and clothe yourself this morning with Christ? Will you put those things down and dress yourself as you feast here that God has already made you a free person? That those things no longer have power in our lives to change what is true, to get through the breastplate of righteousness. Yeah, there's a lot at stake here. Because you know what? We don't have to live with the possums in our backyard anymore. Do I mean that you're going to be perfect when you leave here? No. I'm just saying that it's time for us to fight. It's time for us to stand our ground. It's time for us to say enough's enough. I'm going to experience the joy and the power and the might and the strength of my Lord. And where does it start? Come and feast. Declare and proclaim that God is good. Let's pray. Lord, I don't know what you're doing in this room, Father. I know that as I come to you, that, Lord, I just desire that, that you would work your way, Holy Spirit, into those deep places in our lives. That today would not just be another day of going to church or, you know, Father, getting on with life. But, Lord, today we would, we would stand our ground. That we would be those that declare that the truth of the Lord is true. That you have covered us in your righteousness and let us come and feast on those things. Speak to us, Lord, we pray. Amen.